0: we will see how it works for us today we had as you know last week we had a few issues hmm certain hope everything is working much better today and um, if so we are uh, about ready to begin uh, our broadcast for today we are going to be in James chapter 2 the first 13 verses So that would be, um, yeah, okay. All right, I believe that uh, that should be up and running now. So hopefully uh, everything is good and we can uh, get started. I uh, typically wait for my broadcast person to let me know that we're up and running. And well, um, I can see it on my timeline If you are out there today and watching us, if you would click on and uh, say something so that I know that you're here and that way we know that the video is working properly. Just to let you know, we do edit this uh, event and we do repost it back on our um, YouTube channel. You can go to uh, thebattleiswithin. Let me go to look on Facebook and look for The battles within and you'll find our facebook channel and you can i mean our youtube channel you can find all of our um sunday school lessons and our messages that we have recorded on there we also have um uh uh, we also have podcasting available and we do have a website our website is um uh, our website is um uh the the battleswithin.com you can go to battleswithin.com and access all of our information and um, everything from there. I see I have four people who are viewing me now, so I'm assuming that I must be working. So even though I can't see it, I'm assuming that um, it's working, so we are going to go ahead and get started. Today we're gonna to be, uh, so I need to pause, so then I delete this stuff in the front, so i just start now, So and we'll begin. So we're thankful that you're here today, We're going to be studying James chapter 2 and the verse 13 verses. And the title of the lesson is Impartial Love. You know, we've been doing a series. uh, Our lessons have been a series on love and what love is and and examples. James, to me, is probably my favorite book in the Bible. And it's because if you know me, you know... (laughs) You know, I'm easy to understand black and white. I struggle sometimes with gray, but I really understand black and white. I had a, I had a um, manager many years ago named Gary Beasley, and uh, he's still a friend of mine today. And Gary asked me, when he got ready to bring me in to, uh, to work for, um, to do a quality, as a quality engineer, he uh, asked me a question. He said, David... I am comfortable that you uh, know black and white. I have no question that you can do black and white, but how are you with gray? <laughs> and I said, you're right. I struggle with gray. And uh, that's something that I have always struggled with. So what I have to do with gray is I have to compartmentalize it. I have to say what is still, there's still a right and wrong. There's still a black and white. It just have to understand that, that black and white are not always extremes. Right and wrong, go and no go, are not always at the extreme end of the spectrum. Sometimes there's small things that make the difference between being right or being wrong. Today we're going to study uh, one of these things about uh, uh, as we deal with how we treat other people and how we view other people. And we could even go on to say uh, discrimination. You know, we have um, um, we have issues with um, people who are prejudiced, and we have uh, racism in our world today, and, and let me tell you this, racism is when you view someone else differently because of their race, whether that's in a positive light or in a negative light, you understand? Because you can do both, and both be equally as wrong. Um, some people view people differently just simply because of their color their skin or their nationalities or their um, religion. You know, we can view people by their character, and I don't think there's anything wrong with us reviewing people based upon their character and their behaviors, because certainly we want our children to do that. We want them to make friends with people who are, uh, that are not going to be troublemakers, that are not gonna get them in trouble, take them down the wrong way, wrong influences. So therefore we clearly judge people based upon their character. But we should never judge people based upon the color of their skin, nationality, or anything like that, because we don't control that. They don't control that. Their actions they do control. And James, the book of James, is so much about actions how you actions, and that the actions come from what's within, and therein lies the real root of the issue. So, if we look just a little bit about James chapter 1, remember James dealt with the issue of temptation in James chapter 1. Um, He said in verse 3, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Uh, The testing of your faith he's talking about. Um... The person in verse 12, the first person who endures temptation will receive the crown of life. In other words, we as Christians, because who's going to receive the crown of life? We Christians. Guess what? You as a Christian will endure temptations. You will have to face them every day. I do. Uh, You do. We all face temptations. Uh, Things that we should do that we don't do and things that we don't do that we should do. You know, I mean, it's one of those type of things. Uh, that, that verse 13 says, and remember the temptation never comes from God. God doesn't have to tempt anyone because we're tempted when we're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. And then the Bible tells us when sin hath brought forth, when lust hath brought forth sin, then sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. See? But then he says in verse 17 of the first verse of James, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights. So everything that we have that winds up being good is not our houses or our cars, or our possessions. But it's the things that God gives us. It's peace that passeth all understanding. It's eternal life. It's the joy who know to know the truth of the Savior. It's the love that we feel from the Savior. You know, He counsels us in verse verse 19 of chapter one to be swift to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. Uh, he produces uh, he introduces the subject of doing doing versus mere, merely hearing the word right in verse 22 but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. See that produces within us Christianity Christ being within us the Holy Spirit within us, produces work. He also introduces us to something that we all struggle with and that is in verse 26 about bridling our tongue. You know, he gives an entire chapter on that in verse 20 in chapter 3. So now we're going to look at our chapter today, chapter 2 and the verses 1 through 13 as he focuses as James using the Holy Spirit focuses on how we treat other people. He says in verse one, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. You, you know, this kind of would be better translated. My brothers, don't show favoritism as you hold the faith of our Lord, glorious Lord Jesus Christ. How can you be a Christian and be prejudiced towards people based upon their skin color or their nationality as an example? How can you be prejudiced towards them? If, how can you show favoritism when God doesn't show favoritism? James says, the faith of our Lord, of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus here is not, John. James is not speaking about the faith of Jesus. But he's talking about those that possess the faith in Jesus. You know, my brethren, have not the faith. Don't have faith in God while you're showing a respect to person. That's just not right. He He's trying to give us an example. He's trying to say you can have faith in Jesus Christ, though, and still harbor discrimination towards others. Do you know that? You can. People say, well, you can't be a Christian and be praises. That's Unfortunately, that's not true because we still have this sinful flesh that we have to deal with. Is it, people say, is it impossible to be a Christian and to sin? That's not impossible. Because the word to sin means to miss the mark, and I don't know about you, but I miss the mark in my life often. Again, like I said, things that I shouldn't do I do, and things I should do I don't do, and therefore I miss the mark often. You know, uh, we know Paul says that my righteousness is filthy rags. Filthy rags. The best I can do is not worthy. So therefore we can't have respect. You know, we we can we can be prejudiced towards other people. We can be. We can allow our uh, historical upbringings or whatever. Uh, our, you know, we can have uh, here in the south, you know, we have a tendency to be known as racists, which I don't agree with. But there are those in the south who are racist. There's those in the north that are racist. Racism is not based upon where you live, it's based upon where you are in your heart. If you look upon another person because of their color, their skin, or as we see today, because of their financial situation, then we're being prejudiced towards people. And he says here, you, you, you can't hold, he didn't say you couldn't, he said, uh, my brethren, which is talking to Christians, don't have faith in the Lord Jesus at the same time you have disrespect you have respect for people. So see this is a sin just like any other sin that needs to be dealt with. If you harbor bad feelings towards people or a class of people or a race of people, then that's sin and you need to deal with it. Peter, you know, had this belief that and God had to correct his views. Peter believed that the Jews only the Jews were right, and they were God's chosen people, and everyone else was unworthy. And so, remember, uh, the Holy Spirit put Peter into a deep trance, and he went through this process about uh, killing and eating what was known to what thought to him was unclean meat. And he said, "I'm never going to eat unclean meat because it's never touched my lips." And God told him, Peter, don't call that unclean that I have called clean. And in Acts 10, 34 and 35, he said, Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of person, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. It doesn't matter what nation you come from, what your nationality is, whether you're black, white, yellow, pink, or polka dot, it doesn't matter. See, God is not a respecter of persons. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe, would believe, will have eternal life. You understand? God so loved the world, he has no respect for a person. Peter, like all the other Jews at the time, you know, had to see that God did not have respect for one over another, and therefore they as Christians should not either. So now James is about to expand upon this in verse 2 and 4. Verse 2 to 4. So let's look at verses 2 and 3. For if there came, uh, if there come into your assembly, a man with a gold ring, in goodly apparel, and there come also a poor man in vile remnant, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and to the poor stand thou there, or sit there under my footstool. You know, Let's talk about this verse just a moment. Here comes a man in with gold with a gold ring. By the way, it was actually the better interpreted perhaps as a man with golden ring, golden fingers. See, back then the Jews wore rings on almost all their fingers, the wealthy to, to, to show they wore gold rings all the we didn't we were I don't even wear a wedding band anymore because my fingers have swollen sometime or they shrink sometime and so you know and i fish a sport so i try not to have it because i want to take a chance of just slinging off and everything but but the point is uh there's some back in those days to show your wealth men wore uh, rings on all their fingers so this is uh come to you if somebody come in your assembly with a man full of rings all over his fingers that means he's very wealthy and he's wearing goodly apparel and then we see a contrast another poor man comes in you know some people were so poor they had one set of clothes one set of clothes that's it they uh, worked in them they slept in them they ate in them you know they stunk let's face it if you don't wash your clothes I don't mean, know I'm in the end of the day I got to take my t-shirts off and everything else because you know I have I perspired it's like the rest of you how would you like to wear your your uh, undergarments for more than a day you know, I heard one guy say, well, I have to just turn them inside outwards. No, I don't think that works, folks. I think that still needs to be washed. But some people in that day understand some people don't have but one set of clothing. And so he said, here comes a man, you know, smelling nice and looking nice and full of very good apparel and all. Here comes this poor man with vile remnant. They were stuck. They were dirty. And so you take this guy who has this great clothing, you say to him, hey, oh, ooh, ooh, let me clear out of here. And that sounds sounds like that he actually separates them, he makes the people get up so this guy can get this prime seat. And yet the place is packed, and so the poor guy he said, You just stand, you know, stand over there or or you know sit down here below me. You know, kind of out of the wind, perhaps, so I don't have to smell you." You know, are we tempted to show partiality to the wealthy? Or powerful people, you know, sometimes we show it out of respect. Oh, you know, they're honorable. They got a lot of money, they're a lot of power, influence. Uh sometimes we show uh respect out of fear, you know, afraid that they could do something to us or whatever. You know, sometimes in hopes we do we show that the wealthy maybe they'll give us something. You know, maybe they'll remember me. Maybe they'll share, they'll shed some of that crumbs of their table to me. Help me in some way. There's two types of special treatment that was uh, reserved for the wealthy and the powerful. I think this is true today. One, sometimes we treat them as our superiors because they have money, uh, and us as their subservient because, you know, they have more money than we do. The rich and the powerful we always hear. And But sometimes we also become angry and the people go to great lengths to show disdain for high status. You know, we live in the society of the one percenters. You're the one percenters. You know, and we hate people. That's our society today are hating people because they have wealth. They may have done great things with their wealth. It doesn't matter. Just because they have wealth. I want what you have mentality. Therefore, I hate you. And that both of those are wrong, by the way. Treating them special because they have money and treating them poorly because they have money, both of those are not acceptable. And um, from the standpoint of the Christian faith, both of these are in error because both respond to the wealthy and the powerful rather than to the person. See, people are not seeing the person. They're seeing the position one way or the other, and that's not God's way. Remember, God sees the individual always. He sees the individual. God shows no partiality. In 1 Peter one seventeen, he says, Who without respect to person judgeth according to every man's works. See, Jesus, God does not judge you based upon what you have. But he judges you based upon your works. And what work do you need? You need the work of salvation. Behold, on, There is no such thing as works of salvation. Yes, there is. God produced the works. See, God is the one who did the works for you. He gave you without your effort at all. He died on the cross for your sins without you doing anything. And all you do is accept him. And once you do, the Holy Spirit floods inside of you and produces works. The Torah and the Psalms and the Prophets all have passages of Scripture that forbids an individual to show partiality. Matter of fact, Jesus rebuked the powerful scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, he said in Luke twenty forty six through forty seven, "Beware of the scribes, which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the markets and highest seats in the synagogues and the chief rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses and show make long prayers." the same shall receive greater damnation." See, Jesus rebuked those who put themselves in positions of power and authority to gain uh, a special preferential treatment. Let's look at verse four. "'Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts?' The first part, "'Are ye not then partial in yourselves, Haven't you shown partiality among yourselves, James says? Haven't you? Uh, There's a Greek word that's used here for partiality. It's called uh, diokrino. Krino is a verb form of judging. It's a verb form of judging. It means to categorize people by class. And it carries with it responding to them according to their class. You know, are ye not then partial? Are you not then judging people because of their classification? Are you not treating them because of their classification? Do we treat poor people worse than you treat wealthy people? He said then the latter part are ye become Are ye become judges of evil thought? See now the Greek word here is Katira, and katera is the noun for judge. You know, remember we already noted that the Torah and the Psalms and the prophet forbid showing partiality, and so now here in this verse, the person who divides people into classes and tailors his response to those persons according to their class is guilty of violating Jewish law, right? Right? Just so if you are in the process, he says, if, you're, if you are in the process of judging people and categorizing them according to their class, then you are become judges, which are evil thoughts. Leviticus 19.15 says, Ye shall do no unrighteousness in Judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. See, God did not say you could not judge your neighbor. I always hear people say that. What you're judging is you're judging their actions. You know, if a person has a problem, they have an action. The action, you know, just same a lot about being a Christian. We can judge our neighbors by the way we judge ourselves. You know, are we showing love to our neighbors? The neighbors, if we're not, the neighbors can judge us for that. And rightly so. If we have respect for other people differently than other people, then we are prejudiced towards them and we should be judged according to that. You're prejudiced. Okay? And that's that's something we need to know. He said, but... but don't do it, respect, out of someone classification. That's what he just said here. He said what James mean by evil thoughts. There are many possibilities when he's talking about evil thoughts. A person who shows partiality to the rich might be guilty of coveting what the rich person's money, right? Wanting to find a way to get some of it for themselves. They're evil thoughts, right? Why are you prejudiced towards the rich in a positive way and prejudiced toward the poor in a negative way? Are you, do you want what the rich have? Do you want to be uh, in with the the, the 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 powerful and the beautiful? Is that what you want? That's evil thoughts. Uh, you might be guilty of hating the rich and condemning you without cause. We see that on news and TV today all the time. People don't even know these rich people and are condemning them. Now, if the rich people do things that are unrighteous with their money, then that's a different story, see? It says, but in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. That's a different story. If someone's doing evil with their money, then that's a different story. You know, you can have a respect towards them based upon that. Let's look at verse 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? The Greek word here is used, uh, chosen, the Greek word means, uh, uh, it, it means not necessarily exclusive. The fact that God blesses the poor with faith doesn't necessarily exclude the rich from receiving the same blessing. Uh, so we see the Greek word here for chosen means to select or to choose. Hasn't God selected the poor, the fact that God blesses the poor with faith doesn't necessarily exclude the rich. That's what I just said. Rich people can be saved, and there are many rich people who are saved. Wealthy people, let's not call them rich. Wealthy, wealth is a matter of an opinion. You know what I mean? To some people, I would be wealthy. Uh, uh, to some part of the world, our poorest people in America have more than many of the wealthy in other parts of the world. You understand that? I mean, there are people that have nowhere to live, yet we consider the poor people that don't have as much. But in parts of the world, the poor are really poor. Um, faith doesn't seem to be prevalent among the poor. Uh, faith does seem to be more prevalent among the poor. Why is that? Why do poor people? Well, it's because sometimes the rich people are inclined to think that they don't need God. You know, I've got all these wealth. I must be doing what's right because God has blessed me. Well, did he? Because sometimes money is a curse, not a blessing. You know, I always heard it said this way, that that God gives you what you can handle and gives you as much wealth as you can handle. And I always say this, I just wish he, he thought I could handle a little more. Don't you? I wish I could handle a little more wealth. But maybe God knows that I couldn't handle it. And so to keep me right, keep me needy, keep me hungry, he keeps me that way. You know, um, in Florida in January they will end dog racing. We went by; I was in Florida with my with my family and friends this past uh, last few days. Maybe I just got back last evening, and um, uh, they have a dog uh, race tracks. They used to have dog racing over there. And I was asking what they're gonna do with the animals, you know, and they're probably gonna to try to put them up for adoption or whatever, you know, out there for people. And uh, but I was asking, was thinking about that, and and you know, one of the things that they that uh, my mother-in-law was telling me was, you know, they treat these animals pretty poorly because they starve them. They have to be hungry. They have to want to go after that bunny rabbit or whatever it is that 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 thing that they go around the track. They want it because they're hungry. You know, sometimes God has to make us hungry so that we want to go after it. So we wanna get on that track and run the race. So sometimes we have to be lean and hungry so that we can get, it. if we're fat and happy and we sit back, that's the problem with the rich sometimes, they don't think they need anything. So the poor of this world, see, have need, they recognize the need to rely upon God on a daily basis. I gotta rely upon God. Let me tell you, my life, I rely upon God. My God blesses me more than I can say. Every need he provides. When we have issues, when we have financial situations, and yes, I have financial situations, like others, God miraculously provides some way out of that. I, I, you know, I just sit am amazed by that. See, God, but the rich people don't have those same opportunities to be blessed by God because they already have that. Their blessing should be shown by what they can do with their money and seeing God working through their actions by using the money. But anyway, we see that the poor, God, it says here, the hearken to my beloved, hath not God chosen the poor of this world's rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised them that love him? So we see uh, that sometimes when people get rich, they don't look to God. So that could be a curse for them, not a blessing. Verse 6, but ye have despised the poor, Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seat? You know, he said, if God has honored the poor people, how can we feel justified in treating the poor man badly? You know, why should we? That doesn't make any sense. God loves the poor people because he's given them more faith than he's given the rich people. So if you want to find a powerful person in prayer, you find someone who doesn't have as much money. Because the powerful prayer warriors are those who know by living it day to day. There's a story told of a a rich man who went fishing. And he had all the greatest equipment. I mean, he had the depth finder and he had the, you know, the the fancy automatic retrieving reels. And I'm not a fisherman, so, you know, my, my limitation on talking about the great things that he had. But he had all kinds of great things and was out there fishing. And he's out there fishing, and here comes this uh, this uh, 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 poor old man walking by, and he said um, he had a little bucket and a cane pole. And he said, uh, "What you doing?" He said, "I'm gonna go fishing." He said, "Well, you got a lot of fancy equipment out there." He said, "Yes, sir. I got all the things best money can buy." He said, "What you got, sir?" And he said, all I got some cane pole and a bucket of worms." And he said, "Well, good luck to you." You know, thinking that I'll get catch more fish. than he did. Well, as the time went on, and the day the guy fished all day got nothing. In a day, he's pulling his boat out of the water and all his stuff. He got nothing. Here comes the old poor gentleman walking back by with a string of gigantic bass. He said, "What? How did you catch those?" He said. Uh, with my pole and my bucket of worms. I don't understand. I got all this equipment, and you got a bucket of worms and a cane pole? I just don't understand. And the man said, it's simple, sir. See, you fishing for sport, and I'm fishing for supper. See, it was more important for that man to catch fish than it was for the wealthy man to catch fish. See, God blessed the efforts of the poor man because he had a greater need. We need to find people, we should not, they said, do not rich man oppress you and draw you for judgment seats. You know, it's ironic that we show rich people uh, honor when they would less, more likely be the ones to cause you harm. I mean, because rich people can run you into court and tie you up into court when you can't afford to pay. We've seen this happen before, that, that they do that. Verse 7 says, Do not they blaspheme thy worthy name by which ye are called? Now, blaspheme can be used in two things. Blaspheme is a verbal directed against God, but it also can apply to verbal views directed to people. In our words, blaspheme would be considered slander, right? Don't rich people blaspheme God and they blaspheme uh, you as Christians? Because they don't think you can. I mean, we see so many wealthy people with these strange ideas. Scientology is a perfect example. Scientology is not Christianity, folks. Scientology is wrong. It's a false religion. People who follow it need the Savior. Not being critical, being Factual. You know, when God's word says that we need to rely upon it, and God's word says that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the light, no man comes to the Father but by me. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. Not through respect of persons, not through wealth, not through fame, not by position. I had a discussion this week about, about Jews. Jews are the chosen people of God and they have a special relationship with God, but the Jews need a Savior they go to hell like everybody else. You know, Mary, the mother of God, needed a Savior or she would go to hell like everybody else. That's right. She believed in Jesus Christ just like everyone else as the Savior because that's the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the light. No man comes to the Father but by me. He that hath the Son hath life, he that hath not the Son of God hath not life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, So these people here, they said, look, do not they blaspheme the worthy name by which ye are called? And yet you're trying to show them favor? Verse 8. If ye fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. The royal law. This means this is the king's law. What's the king's law? Jesus was the one that said, right? Love thy neighbor as thyself. Um... Be willing to lay down your life, put aside your life for your neighbor, for the brethren. That's the royal law, that's the king's law. You know, Jesus taught the whole law, and the prophets could be summarized in two commandments love God and love your neighbor. You know, James narrows it down into the two thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. James says that the person who loves his neighbor does well. This keeps true, this is true in three ways. First, He keeps the law, right? If you love your neighbor yourself, you keep the law. Second, he makes life better for his neighbor, right? He makes life better for your neighbor. If you love your neighbor, you're going to treat your neighbor better. Third, he makes life better for himself. Let me tell you, if you love your neighbor, your neighbor's going to love you back. And I've lived with neighbors that I love, and I've lived with neighbors that I haven't loved. And I tell you, your neighbors that love you and you love back is a whole lot better place to live. Verse 9 says, But if you have respect to person, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. This connects you between this this verse and the last verse. The person who loves his neighbor will treat his neighbor well regardless of wealth or social position. You know, showing partiality means treating the rich or powerful well, and the poor less as well. And this violates love your neighbor rule, doesn't it? (coughs) Excuse me. It violates love your neighbor rule. Since love your neighbor is one of the highest rules that God has given us, then the person who violates this rule commits sin. If you don't love your neighbor, you commit sin, folks. And it says here that we are convinced of the law as transgressors. We tend to think about guilt and innocence. You know, we rank things as little white lies and and the least of lies and these are big lies and that's important lies. You know, we tend to think of this sin as being more relevant than the other. I've I've talked about that before, that, you know, sometimes we want to think that this sin is more important than that sin. We have our own pet peeve sin. To some people, it's the sin of, uh, of uh, abortion, which is a horrible sin, killing of innocent life. Some people believe in the sin, the believe that they want to pick the sin of homosexuality. It's a terrible sin. It deceives people into thinking, to, the Bible says it, 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 it is an abomination, but it convinces them of a lie. See, and that's the sad thing. We we shouldn't hate those people. We need to understand they're sinners and need to be saved. We need to love them. Don't put yourself in a situation where you think one sin is the other. Guess what? I'm a sinner. I'm no better than the abortionist. You hear me? I'm no better than the homosexual. I'm no better. I'm a sinner just like they are. I need to be saved just like they do. I've given my life to Jesus Christ just like they have to. Jesus died for my sins just like he died for their sins. You understand? So, guilt and innocent, transgressors and those who are holy, showing partiality moves us from innocence to guilty. When we're partial towards somebody, we're guilty of that sin. If we put ourselves higher than someone else, we are guilty of sin, just as bad as any of the most abominable sins we can have. Verse 10 and 11 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that saith do not commit adultery, saith also, do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. See, James continues to explore guilt and innocence. You know, Whether we're guilty of murder, adultery, showing partiality, or any other sins, it says we have become a transgressor of the law. So then, who is then guilty? I mean, who then is innocent? Nobody. We're none innocent. There's none of us here on this earth who are innocent. None. There's only been one innocent soul and he died on the cross for our sins. You understand that? None. There's none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says. So who's guilty? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Who's guilty? All of us are guilty. So then, how can we have hope? Well, Paul says that the remedy for sin is being justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 3.24. You know, James doesn't mention grace here, but he emphasizes avoiding transgression. What is grace? Grace, you know, is unmerited favor. I won't go there in just a minute. Verse 12 says, So speak ye, and so do, as they shall be judged by the law of liberty. James emphasizes action, speaking and doing, consistent with the emphasis on works that he's going to address later on, is action, is speaking and doing. While Christ freed us from the Jewish law, he did not free us from judgment. In Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46, he created for us, Jesus created for us, a picture of judgment day. Yeah, you know, that says, Our inheritance is of the godly kingdom will depend on whether we fed the hungry, uh, we gave drink to the thirsty, we welcomed strangers, we clothed the naked, we visited the sick, and those in prison. Remember that passage? If you're not, go look it up, Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46. So as we speak and act, we need to keep that vision of that judgment day before us. So it might motivate us to speak and act with compassion. Verse 13 says, For he shall have judgment without mercy, that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. So, according to Jesus' comments, Matthew 5, 7 said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And then Jesus taught us when we pray, remember in the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew 6, 12-15, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your Father, Heavenly Father, will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees, remember, for tithing, even their garden vegetables. They they tithe their mint and their dill and their cumin. And he said, but leaving, having omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith, these ought ye to have done and not leave the other undone. Therefore, Jesus elevated mercy into the place, to that higher place. So what is mercy? It can be defined as the application of grace. You know, grace is unmerited favor. Mercy is the result of grace. Mercy is the result of grace. Unmerited favor. God shows me mercy because of his grace. Unmerited favor. Are not we as Christians to convey grace to other people and we can do that by having mercy on them? Mercy is the conduit that conveys grace to the needy person. People see Jesus through us, how? Because of our mercy that we show. We're demonstrating grace of God through the mercy that we show other people. This idea of active mercy is wholly consistent with James and what he says. In conclusion, James continues to show us the picture of a Christian, doesn't he? Not a picture of one who professes to be Christ, a Christian, but a picture of one who possesses Christ, right? There's a difference. Someone who says they have Christ versus someone who Actually has Christ. I always tell people this: Christianity is not a religion. It's not. A religion is the do's and don'ts. And Christianity is not about do's and don'ts. Christianity is about a possession. It's about a relationship. See, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what makes me a Christian, not my works, not my actions that I do. That's not what makes me a Christian. I don't have to go to go to Jerusalem or Mecca or, or wherever. I don't have to do that. I don't have to do anything. Jesus Christ died for my sins. He gave his price for that. I accept that and the Holy Spirit changes me, makes me a new creature. Old things are passed away. Everything has become new. See, that's what happened. So therefore, I now possess Jesus Christ. I possess the Holy Spirit. I am a new creature. And as a result of being that new creature, God's mercy is in me. He has given me mercy. His grace, I'm merited favor, has shown me mercy. I'm not going to hell, folks. I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus. Paul said, when I be when I close my eyes and I open them, I'll be in the presence of Jesus. That instant, that moment. I know where I know. I know what I know what I know, and you can too. But as Christians, that grace of God provides mercy that we can demonstrate to other people, and we should. James 2, 18-20 says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe in tremble. But wilt thou know, all the vain man, that faith without works is dead? See, the way we treat others is a direct reflection of what's happening in our lives. James provides this lesson to us Christians so we can prune our hearts for his service. So, get your pruning shears out that we call the Bible and begin... The work on yourselves today. Now, hopefully I've sharpened your blade, but it's up to you to do it. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful we have this opportunity. We can come, we can open your Word, we can see what your Word has to offer us. Lord, what a powerful message. Help us, Lord, not be a respecter of persons, but care for all people regardless of their guilt or innocence, regardless of their wealth or their poverty, regardless of their race or their nationality. Lord, let us love like you loved. Let us love with blinders on. Let us just love people because you love people. Let us show mercy to those who, Lord, need it today. Because your grace abides in us, let us demonstrate that grace through mercy. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time, for your attention. And get your pruning shears out today and start pruning your tree so that you might be the better bush in the neighborhood that others would see. Talk to you later. Have a good day.